those who are already trying to carve out a half hour in the evening to do exercise, that's going to be at the expense of something else that's also important. You know, making food or spending time with your spouse or whatever. Whereas if you get it throughout the day in these little chunks, it doesn't take anything away from your work. But at the end of the day, you're done. It's the perfect situation. Human OS. Learn. Master. Achieve. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Human OS Radio. We all know that lifestyle factors like physical activity and diet have a massively important impact on our risk for chronic disease. However, in the last 10, maybe 15 years, newer research suggests that the more that someone sits, the greater their risk of death and disease, regardless of their diet and level of physical activity. And to discuss this topic further, Today, we have guest Dr. Travis Saunders. Professor Travis Saunders, thank you so much for joining us at Human OS Radio. Let's begin by telling us what you study and where you do your work. Thanks for having me. So I study sedentary behavior. I study physical activity broadly, but my real research focus is on sedentary behavior, which is basically sitting in activities that are done while sitting. So things like watching TV, using a computer, reading. Um, so I study that, the health impact of those behaviors. And I'm currently an assistant professor at the University of PEI in Prince Edward Island, Canada. And so I guess I got into this area. I, I'm an exercise physiologist by training. So my undergraduate degree is in kinesiology. And I was originally interested in sort of sport performance. And then in my master's, I moved sort of more towards health and physical activity. And I did some stuff with Dr. Bob Ross at Queen's University looking at physical activity and hormones and obesity. And then in my PhD, I kind of shifted again to focus more on sitting and sort of the, the research showing that you know, no matter how much you exercise, sitting is still bad for you. Um, and I found that really interesting as someone who was really active but also sat a lot. So I sort of made that my, my research focus moving forward. So we haven't discussed this yet, but I have a master's in exercise phys myself, and I graduated in 1996. And at that time, sedentary behavior and inactivity physiology was not a thing at all. So when did this field really start to emerge into existence? It was around like 2001 or 2002 were the first couple studies. There were some animal studies that came out around then. I think people have been looking at TV viewing for a long time, but a lot of it was sort of looking at TV and not necessarily physical health, but mental health or social health, that sort of thing. And it's funny because, you know, when you say that, because I graduated my undergrad in uh, 2006, I guess. Yeah, so 10 years after you. And even then, we were taught if you were exercising 45 minutes a day, nothing else mattered. Yeah. And nothing else could possibly matter. All that mattered was moderate and vigorous physical activity. And so that's why I found this really interesting. But then even when I was doing my PhD, I would talk to old school exercise physiologists who still say, well, it doesn't matter. It's all about energy expenditure and exercising at a high intensity. Nothing else could possibly matter. And even in my thesis defense, we had those discussions with people who were involved in some of my projects. It's just, it's a big paradigm shift. And it's funny because my, my students now that I teach look at me like I'm crazy and say, well, like, of course sitting matters. Like sitting's obviously bad for you. Like they have no concept of this giant paradigm shift that happened in the past 15 years that some people still just can't get their minds around it. Some exercise physiologists which I find really fascinating. I think that that holds true with so many fields where when there is such a large paradigm shift, it's hard for some people to make the adjustment. But it's uh, yeah. it's interesting to hear you say, like, now it's commonplace. And the students that are learning it now, it's like, uh, yeah, of course that makes sense. Yeah, and, and it's not surprising, I guess, that I would get the most critical comment when I present in front of an academic audience as opposed to a lay audience. But it's funny, when I go and talk to a group of parents or to, you know, here we have like a, they call it seniors college on campus where older adults can come and take courses. And so a bunch of us researchers will do little talks and stuff. When I do those talks, everyone's nodding along and like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. But then when I go to an exercise physiology conference and do the same talk, that's where I where I really meet the resistance of people who deny the basic premise that sitting could matter. So it is, it is very interesting, I find. 
you know, I've seen this many times. When something emerges into existence, there, of course, can be those that remain steadfast in rejecting this new way of thinking wholesale. But then there are this other side, whereas this new shiny object that becomes accepted as law prematurely, even holding an exaggerated opinion of its importance, it's like, now it's here and it explains everything. Right. Um, but when I spoke with Professor Matt Buman of Arizona State University on Human OS Radio a few episodes back, we discussed the popular analogy that sitting is the new smoking. And he was keen to point out that no degree of smoking is healthy. But sitting is a health behavior. So it's not that sitting itself is bad. It's just that we do it too much. So how do you educate around the nuance there? In my own life, I feel like I have a very common sense approach to it. Like, you know, I recognize that you need to sit sometimes. So I have a standing desk at work or a sit-stand desk so I can sit and stand. And so like right now I'm standing because I feel like standing. But usually I, I sit about half the day and stand about half the day. I think it's silly to only stand. There's lots of bad things about only standing as well. It's funny because when I talk to people, I just take it for granted. They're like, well, of course you're going to still sit some. But like you say, some people hear the message that sitting is bad for you and just decide, I will never sit again. And that's not a good message either. I think it's doing things like this and having actual conversations with people is where, where you notice the unintended consequences of people taking things not quite the way you meant them to be taken or who just take things a bit too literally when they read a headline somewhere. So I think it's, this is how you actually get that nuance across. People understand, no, 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 it's not about never sitting. It's just about being conscious about when you want to sit and standing when you want to stand as opposed to just always defaulting to sitting down. Looking at your publications, I see that you're looking at this subject from every possible angle that you can. Is there any good guidance on goals for standing time during the day? So there's a little bit. Public Health England released a paper at the end of last summer suggesting that people should aim for at least two hours a day of standing and then moving towards four hours a day. So if a typical workday is eight hours, aim for standing for a quarter of the time and then moving to standing for about half the time. Um, and now that's not stationary standing. That's standing for a few minutes. That's breaking up your sitting. That might be you taking a walking meeting. Um, but to try and limit half your workday to sitting down is sort of their suggestion. That's sort of an arbitrary line in the sand. I don't think there's necessarily a lot of evidence to support that yet. Yeah. But it seems like a pretty reasonable suggestion. And in the, the few studies I've seen where they give people standing desks, for example, people tend to reduce their sitting by two to three hours a day. You give somebody a desk that allows them to stand. So it seems sort of in the range of what people will naturally do if you give them a workplace that allows them to stand. I have a standing desk. I stand all day. You mentioned that there could be some negative consequences. Is there such a thing as standing too much? Being in any posture for a long time is typically not good. And my biomechanics background is not terribly strong aside from a few courses in undergrad. But I, I do know that people who stay in any position, whether sitting or standing for a long period, tend to have problems. So people who are on their feet all day often have varicose veins. They often have swelling and sort of blood pooling in their lower limbs. So it's not good to stand in a fixed posture all day. That being said, like when I'm talking right now, I'm not standing perfectly still. I'm actually moving quite a bit while I'm standing and talking. Yeah. And so I think it probably depends on how you stand and what I'd recommend is that people can use common sense like you would with a training program at the gym that you know your first few days you might be sore ease back a bit and if you consistently are feeling uncomfortable well then there's probably a problem that you should probably speak to someone about or change what you're doing um, if you're standing all day and don't see any problems and feel good well then you're probably fine you know, people need to, first of all, make sure they have a pretty ergonomic setup with their workstation, um, make sure that their monitor's at the right height, their keyboard's at the right height, and then make sure that they're listening to their body and not trying to stand even though, you know, their legs are exhausted or their back hurts or something like that. 
I write about how physical activity can augment cognition and looking at that from a variety of different angles. It's a topic that's super interesting to me. What I found is that when I move around, when I'm standing, and it's active standing as you're describing, so I'll work for a little bit, I'll pace when I'm on phone calls, and then I'll actually intermittently include physical activity, whether it's bodyweight squats and things like that. And I actually feel like I perform better when I do that. Yeah. But I also notice I get a little sluggish when I am just standing there for a while, particularly in the latter half of the day, if I've been yeah. standing all day. So I just don't quite have kind of the perfect setup currently, but I'm looking to create that. And yeah, I think a little more sitting time would be beneficial for me, but I don't love having my laptop, you know, just sitting on a couch and having my laptop on my lap. That's kind of my option currently. And laptops are tough. As I've sort of gotten a standing desk, I got the sit-stand desk about a year and a half ago now. And the thing I noticed right away is that laptops are not good for standing desks unless you have a separate keyboard. Because either you've got the laptop at the right height for your keyboard and the screen is way too low. Yeah. Or you've got the screen up at the right height, but the keyboard's way too high and you do what I call like T-Rex typing with your hands all kind of up by your neck. And, and so I have found it, this is one area where having either a desktop computer or just having a separate keyboard just makes a world of difference in terms of making it a functional setup. Now, do you have a resource if people wanted to set up their own standing desk that tells you where your hand should be, how far your monitor should be, things like that? We can include that in show notes if you do. I've seen a couple online. I don't have any that I've created or, or know of. I know I, I stumbled across one a little while ago just from Googling like how to set up a standing desk, basically. Unfortunately, I don't know of a good one, but I wish there was a good one. Yeah. Sort of like set up your chair and all that because it is simple, but it is important information. The amount of time we're spending at a computer these days is so unnatural. And if you're not in the ideal ergonomic setup, you're going to experience problems. And I have before years ago when I had a sedentary job and I was sitting at a computer all day and I was working very long hours and I started to develop deep vein thrombosis and it hurt to sit for a wow. while just because I was sitting too much. So I have learned the consequences of overdoing it in that regard, but it's easy to do when the demands of your work keep requiring you to sit and concentrate. So you yeah. got to be proactive about it before the injury or the issue starts. Yeah, I started getting into this area during my PhD. And so I was spending like eight to 10 hours a day reading about the health impact of sitting. <laughs> and I was sitting for that full time. Uh, <laughs> and I remember during my comprehensive exams, just like getting paranoid that, you know, I was spending all my waking hours sitting and reading about the health impact of sitting. Yeah. The nice thing is, you know, it used to be that a standing desk or a sit-stand desk that goes up and down you know, they cost a couple thousand dollars. Whereas now I have a very desk that's about 500 bucks. Ergotron has one for about the same price. Mm -hmm. Ikea has one for five or 600 bucks. There's a lot more players in this market right now. And the price has dropped dramatically in the past few years. There's just a whole ton of Kickstarter um, sit-stand desks of, of varying levels of complexity. So, so it's nice that at least it's getting a lot more affordable now, but it's not much more than buying a regular desk to buy a desk that allows you to go up and down, which is really nice. Being able to make good options more accessible, more convenient, more cost efficient. Even just a couple of years ago, a standing desk, there was maybe one in an office and people would share it. Now it's commonplace where most desks you know, have an option or even within a two or three desk situation, there's a standing opportunity. So I'm really happy to see that. I feel like it's actually made it into at least the Bay Area culture in a significant way. Yeah. And, I, and I've noticed that, I mean, especially in universities, you know, certainly your neck of the woods, but also in, in universities, I see people work sort of in, in health-related professions. I, I see a lot of them. I mean, in our hallway, 10 offices, at least four or five have standing desks, which I know is quite common in, in kinesiology departments. So they're certainly getting more popular. So what are some of the interesting questions that remain unresolved at this point? 
Now, for example, what are the benefits of standing specifically? And is it just the absence of sitting time or are there some things that are taking place while you're standing that are health promoting? That's a good question. And I would say one thing that's sort of a double-edged sword about people moving to these sit-stand desks is that lots of us are getting them. And I think so far the evidence seems to suggest, yeah, that's probably a good idea. But there have been very few studies on the actual health benefits of these. There's only been like two or three at this point. And so we really don't know if sit-stand desks are actually good for you. And I feel like by the time the research catches up, they're going to be so widespread that it'll sort of be a moot point either way. People will be using them whether or not they're that good for you. So I, myself and a bunch of people are kind of scrambling to catch up to see, okay, what is the actual health benefit of this? The rationale and the logic behind it is that we know that if you say sit for three or four hours at a stretch, and then I give you at the end of that some sort of sugary drink, you're going to have a massive tsunami of blood sugar followed by a massive tsunami of insulin. Whereas if you were standing during that period of time, or even just sitting, but every half hour or hour, just interrupting your sitting time, then your blood sugar response to that meal is going to be much, much lower. And your insulin response is probably going to be much lower. So it seems like there's something that has to do with just a, a low level of muscle activity. It's not about energy expenditure, but just having muscle activity going on throughout that period means that you're much more able to handle a big dose of, of sugar at your next meal. And that means that your body doesn't have to produce as much insulin to then deal with all that sugar. And the reason why that matters is that, you know, if you have a big spike of blood sugar at every meal, well, blood sugar is very damaging. It damages your blood vessels. Insulin promotes growth, including growth of things that we don't want to grow. So insulin can, for example, promote some tumor growth, that sort of thing. So if you're having this big spike of sugar and insulin every meal, that's going to be a bad thing. So that's sort of the logic behind all this, that when you sit, it has this very, very repeatable and significant impact on your blood sugar levels at your next meal. That's kind of what I think is coolest about all this. But the question is, well, what happens if you get somebody to stand a bit more at work? Is that enough to actually have an impact on their blood sugar levels? Or is it only in this very strictly controlled lab-based environment where we actually see these benefits of standing? That's a question that is being explored currently, but we don't have an answer, a good answer to it right now. No, it seems like it's probably good, but no, we don't have a good answer yet. How much energy does one expend over the course of a day of standing versus sitting? I couldn't give you exact number. I, there have been a few studies on this. It's not a lot. That's one thing that actually frustrates me. I've seen a couple of headlines. There was a school somewhere in the States, I think it was California, where the parents got together and brought standing desks into the schools. And I thought, great, you know, there's lots of good reasons why what giving kids option to stand might be good, yeah. both in terms of behavior and in terms of their health. So great. But the rationale for this, according to the parents that sort of organized it, was, hey, they're going to burn more calories and we've wiped out childhood obesity. That was the quote. This will wipe out childhood obesity. And I just did a, I did a massive facepalm because you're burning a half calorie or just a calorie a minute. Like, it's so small that, that it's really not going to help you burn enough calories to have any impact on your body weight. You're going to burn slightly more, but it's going to add up to like 100 calories over the course of the day or something pretty small when you consider that I eat 3,000 calories a day. So it's really a drop in the bucket. The benefits, I think, are really what's happening in terms of, you know, your blood sugar, your insulin, and possibly things related to your blood pressure. So those are the health benefits. It's not going to have any real impact on how many calories you're burning or, or your body weight in any way. At least that's my speculation based on the studies that have been done so far. You know, one thing that's a possibility if you are standing and what we were saying earlier, instead of just standing there and not moving, standing there and moving, you know, you're more apt to move around, I think, if you're, yes. if you're standing. And particularly some people actually fidget 
to concentrate. And so, if, you know, if you're fidgeting more, if you're moving around, there could be actually more significant energy expenditure, not on a hourly basis, but over the course of an eight hour period, you know, if you're between two and 300 calories carried out over five days a week, you know, maybe that can contribute in a positive direction towards energy regulation, particularly if you are moving around like I do. That's nuance that's important to discuss as well. And I know for children, it's really difficult for some kids to concentrate if you're just sitting constrained in a chair. So you actually yeah. can concentrate better if you have like an ability to just move around, you know, move your body a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, my wife's a teacher, so we talk about this all the time. But, you know, a lot of schools now here in my region of Canada, they've got these miniature spin bikes for self-regulation. So sometimes these kids will just feel like, I, I need to go get some energy out to go and ride the bike for two, three minutes and come back to work. And so I think that makes sense. I think that's a great idea. But for the same reason, you know, sometimes you just really feel like you need to stand. Like if I'm at a conference or a poster session, some sort of environment where I'm expected to sit for two or three hours of a stretch without getting up. And I find that after about 45 minutes, I'm just so incredibly fidgety that I can't stand it. If I can lean against a wall, I feel much better. So I think it makes total sense to give kids that option to just, if you feel like you need to stand, then stand up. Yeah. But if you want to sit, then sit down. The studies that have been done so far show that teachers are pretty supportive. It doesn't have any negative impact on classroom management. And if anything, it probably has a, has a benefit for the classroom behavior of the kids. If you're at a conference with me, you'll see me at the back of the room standing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think absolutely you get used to it. Once you start to stand, it's a little addictive. The idea of then sitting for that same period of time becomes extra distasteful. So now I work remotely, but I have an office where I stand most of the day. And so I used to move around quite a bit. Now it's a little bit hard for me to think about going to a coffee shop and setting up and doing some work just because, God, do I right. really want to be sitting for hours? No, I prefer yeah. standing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And just to come back to what you said before, I absolutely agree that when I'm standing, I'm much more likely to go for a short walk because I'm already standing. It's like yeah. that barrier to movement is so much lower. And we're looking at that a little bit in a, in a paper we're, we're working on right now to look and see if people are a bit more likely to initiate activity when they're standing already. And it looks like there's a good chance. We haven't really gotten into the data yet, but it, it makes sense that it, when you're sitting, it's not like it's that hard to get up and go to, for a walk down the hallway. But when you're standing, the barrier is so much lower that you don't even think about moving because, well, I'm already up on my feet. Totally. A mental trick for me, any phone call that I have, headsets on and I'm just pacing automatically without even thinking yeah. about it. My company, we have, we set up something called Intune Training and it stands for Integrative and Opportunistic. And the idea is that you're integrating movement into your day in this opportunistic yeah. fashion. So instead of having it all be planned and the half an hour you're going to do this, it's more about, okay, I just finished this email. Let me do five push-ups or 10 bodyweight yeah. squats. And you just work your movement into your day. And so my mindset is that by the end of my workday, I also want to have my physical work done as right. well. I want to have a tired body and a tired mind and then I can go relax and enjoy my night. And it's actually yeah. really satisfying once you yeah. kind of get into that rhythm. Yeah, no, and I agree 100%. So I did my postdoc at Dalhousie University and I was lucky enough that my office was inside of a, a research space that was just full of exercise equipment. And yeah. so I would do exactly like you just said, you know, I feel like, oh, you know, I need to go get a drink of water. And I go fill up my water bottle and on the way back, I set a chin-ups or bench press or whatever. Yeah. And it was great because it took no time. I didn't even get changed. I just wore my work clothes, you know, my jeans, my dress shirt, my whatever shoes I had on. Did a set and I would do, you know, that every half hour, 45 minutes throughout the day. And it was the physically strongest I've ever been. But it's just like you say, at the end of the day, I felt good. I felt like I got a workout in. I feel physically good. I can go home and relax and enjoy my night. Yeah. Because it's just too hard, especially if you have a partner, if you have kids, it's way too hard to try and carve out a half hour in the evening to do exercise because that's going to be at the expense of something else that's also important, you know, making food or spending time with your spouse or whatever. Whereas if you get it throughout the day in these little chunks, it doesn't take anything away from your work. But at the end of the day, you're done. It's the perfect situation to me. I could not agree more. I think this is one of the most important lifestyle hacks, if you will, to adopt into our lives. 
like you said, if you're trying to create time, the likelihood that you're going to be able to do that consistently in a schedules that are completely packed with family obligations and extended work times, if you can yeah. work it into your life, then it's much more likely that you're going to maintain a pattern over time. And that doesn't mean that you can't try to do things, you know, before, during, and after work, but if you can get it during the work day, it really is ideal. Plus, you have the added benefit of enhancing your mental performance by being in yeah. a more energetic, better blood flow state. Cognitive benefits of chronic regular exercise and the cognitive benefits of acute physical activity on mental performance both yeah. you know, help you perform better day to day. Yeah, and I think it makes so much. And it's the same reason why, I mean, I've always been a huge proponent of, of active transportation. And it's the same thing. It's just none of us have time to exercise. Yeah. But if you can... If you can get it in throughout your day, you're so much more likely to do it. So I think that's the next big step is to try to engineer environments that make it easier for people to be active. Because there are always going to be weirdos like us that do a set of bodyweight squats in our office. Yeah. But that's never going to work for my mom. But I think if you have a small exercise area in every building, which I know still seems probably crazy, so that you can pop in and do a quick set in your work clothes and then go about your day. If we had that option, I think it would be a lot easier for people that aren't going to really go out of their way to be active on their own. That's an important point. Not every work environment is permissive of you mixing in physical activity into your workday. If you're wearing yeah. a suit, if it's more of a formal culture. However, you see this in startups around the Bay Area and of course across the world now as less traditional work times are being maintained. People come in late and they stay late, at least around here. Some organizations are really good. Their employees come and they leave during work to work out or they actually have a gym on site or they have some sort of stretching and workout area. They take breaks. They do do something physically active while they're working. Right. Uh, but I know what you mean. And I think if you're listening and you feel like it's just not practical for me, it's not the only solution. Well, it's still good to get activity in when you can on the weekends before or after oh, work. Yeah. And neither of us are seeing that, but also liberating to then break down that structure if you can and say, okay, I can mix exercise into my life. And it is significant by doing 10 bodyweight squats multiple times a day. I don't have to actually reserve 45 minutes for a complete workout in order for this to be meaningful. No, I think that's one of the biggest tragedies of health promotion with respect to physical activities is it's mostly people that are in this field that like working out and are comfortable working out and so we've promoted this idea of working out that matches our interests which is going to the gym and working out for a half hour or an hour which only suits you know 10 or 15 percent of the population there's a, an obesity physician here in canada named yoni friedoff and his slogan about physical activity is as much as you can as hard as you can everything counts and so, and when he says everything counts, it means, you know, one set counts, walking for three minutes, that counts. You know, don't worry about how you get it in, how long it takes, just get in these little bits of activity wherever you can and start there and build up. And if you can go to the gym, great. If you can't, do whatever you can. Get in 10 minutes after work or after supper, whatever you can get. It's better than nothing. Another aspect of in-tune training that I want to mention is not only is it a breakdown to integrative and opportunistic, but the other thing that I like about it is being in tune with your body. A lot of physical activity culture is asking you to push as hard as you can all the time. And I think that that could be punitive if you are yeah. thinking, God, you know, I have to kill myself right now in order for this to count. But actually, right. just think about how you feel. If you're feeling pretty low energy, you can actually increase your own energy by just getting some more physical activity into your day. Make it light, go for a walk, get some sunshine. And so being 
being in tune with your body, giving it what it wants, going hard when you feel good, a walk when you're not necessarily the most energy. And I think you develop a relationship with physical activity that it's, it always feels good. That means you want to do it more and you like it more. That's something we talk about a lot in, in class with my students when we're talking about, you know, personal training is that, you know, we've got this model of you got to go hard. And if you want to go hard, that's great. You know, yeah. high intensity interval training or CrossFit, any of that stuff, you know, it is good for you if you do it properly. But yeah, it's again, I come back to my parents who are, are recreationally active. They go for a 5k walk every morning. So that's super good for them. Yeah. If they did a little more intensity, yes, it would be slightly better. But that three miles they're walking every day is so good for them that it would be a shame if they thought, well, that doesn't count because it's not, you know, they're not breaking a sweat. Yeah. And I think it's a shame that people, again, because we promoted this idea of exercise at the expense of pleasant physical activity. If people just did a nice, light, easy walk, it would be, it would just have huge public health implications. But we've drilled into people that that doesn't count as exercise. And so they think, well, what's the point? Yeah, so I do track my steps. And do you? Is that something that you monitor? I, I go off and on. I find it's really useful if you're trying to reach a goal. But I find if you're sort of just curious about how many steps you take on a daily basis, once you sort of know how many steps you take, I sort of got bored with tracking it personally. Yeah. I certainly don't poo-poo it. I think it's very valuable. I just kind of, once I knew 14,000 steps a day, I didn't feel the need to keep tracking it every day. Particularly if you have like a very predictable route that you're doing yeah. every day. What I found is I've actually shifted the way that I look at these trackers. Yeah. They're, they're not just telling me what I've done, but I actually think of them as performance-enhancing devices. The fact that you're looking at your steps regularly throughout the day helps you actually engage with the idea of pacing, you know, pacing on a call. There's yeah. a lot of ways to earn steps, and that can affect and change how you live. The way that I uh, would structure my workday is I would wake up, I would walk to a, a cafe and work, and I, then I'd walk to the library and work, and I, and I actually would work walks into my day. Now that I have a standing desk, I struggle actually to get my 10,000 steps as much, but I stand right. all day. I'm now kind of struggling with what's actually better, getting my 10,000 steps but sitting more or standing more not quite getting my 10,000 steps. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and that's one of those things that the research hasn't caught up on, like where we're starting to look at that of, okay, you know, these different combinations of lots of sitting, lots of activity, a little bit of sitting, lots of activity, a little bit of each, all these different combinations. Because I think it's clear that reducing your sitting and getting lots of activity is the best place to be. We don't know about those intermediate combinations though. Like, you know, well, a little bit less activity, but a little bit less sitting. I don't think anyone really knows yeah. what's better or worse there. Yeah. So tell us about the Sedentary Behavior Research Network. This is how I met you. I'm a part of that network, and I'm interested in the, the work you're doing, but you can tell us more about it. So it's really just a loose network. So anyone who's interested can just go to sedentarybehavior.org, and you can spell behavior the international way or the, the American way, and it'll take you there. And really all it was, it was myself and my PhD supervisor, Mark Tremblay, and a group of other people that just kind of realized, well, there was no group focusing on sedentary behavior specifically. And it was a problem because... In the past, we've used the term sedentary behavior to refer to people who aren't getting enough physical activity. So I do some sort of exercise intervention study, and I get a whole bunch of people who don't exercise very much, and I get them to enroll in my study. And then in my paper, I'd say, these people are sedentary because they don't exercise enough. And that was back in the day when we thought all that mattered was getting your exercise. And if you didn't get your exercise, nothing else matters. So if you didn't exercise, you were sedentary. Yeah. Now we realize that they're separate constructs, that you can have lots of exercise but still sit a lot or very little sitting but not much exercise or all these different combinations. So we needed to kind of clarify the words. So now sedentary behavior refers specifically to sitting and we use the term inactive to refer to someone who's not active enough. And so this is, I know it seems like a bit of a detour, but basically it got really confusing when we started to do research in this area of sedentary behavior and papers started to come out because half the people were using sedentary the way I use it to refer to sitting and half the people were using it to refer to just the lack of exercise. And so if you saw a paper on sedentary people or sedentary behavior, you didn't know what it was about. Yeah. So the Sedentary Behavior Research Network really kind of 
came about because we got together and said, look, you know, these definitions, we need to figure out what we mean when we say sedentary behavior. Let's all get a group of people together, come up with a definition of sedentary behavior, maybe start talking about sedentary behavior research projects, and start thinking about this field of sedentary behavior as a unique construct because it was kind of getting lost a little bit within these other larger organizations that already focus on exercise and other types of physical activity. So that was sort of how it was created, and it's, it's a very loose organization that it's just basically a a website that we maintain. Anyone can sign up for free. There's a listserv that people can send questions or ideas to. And at last count, I think we have a little over a thousand members now. And from North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa. So it's become quite a useful tool for creating consensus within the field, discussing different ideas. So it's, it's been a really useful tool as far as I'm concerned. When operational definitions are not defined, it leads to ongoing, long-term confusion in the field. So good for you for organizing this group, determining the nomenclature. What, are we, what does this mean? What does this mean? I guess simple as it sounds, it can lead to, like you said, huge amounts of confusion going forward, and then you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, and I, and I, and I realized it's very much inside baseball and very boring to think about. But it, it was, for the few people that are really interested in sedentary behavior research, I think it's been a very positive thing. So, so I think we're pretty happy with how it's developed. And then you also blog at PLOS One, right? Yeah. So the journal publisher, Public Library of Science, or PLOS, they, so they publish PLOS One and also uh, PLOS Medicine and a few others. And so they set up a blogging network in, I think, 2010. So we've been blogging a few different places. We had our own blog, and then we moved to science blogs, and then we were invited to join PLOS. We've been there since they sort of started. And yes, we talk about sort of obesity research, physical activity research, and sedentary behavior research there. Great. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so people can check you out. Well, thank you, Travis. This has been uh, really insightful, and it's such an important subject is standing and sitting. These are things that people don't post on social media when they do it, right? You post if you did like a Tough mutter when you right. finish a CrossFit workout, when you do something where you really bust your butt. But this is so, so important. It, I call it the mundane but meaningful, right? It's standing, walking, going to bed on time. All this stuff right. Right, is not super exciting, but matters yeah. so much. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So yeah, thank you for joining us today and helping us understand the subject that is important better. And uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening and come visit us soon at humanos.me.